every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. Welcome to High Turnout Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I'm the County Clerk for Boone County, Missouri, and with me is my co-host. Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County. And today we're really excited to have Dana DeBouvois. She's going to be talking to us about her start in elections, her upcoming retirement, and running elections in Texas. So thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure. I'm enjoying the, the gorgeous day here in South Texas. So first, we always ask, how did you get started in elections in the first place? I came into elections through a side door. I sort of fell into it. And I think there are a lot of us uh, that got our start in elections that way. The, the way it happened was I was working for the tax office in county government. And a lot of my first time delinquency people had the exact same story over and over. They didn't understand why the first bill they got was already delinquent. And they were telling me that they thought they had paid their taxes at closing, which of course we all know that's not what happens. But there was such a backlog at the county clerk's office in processing deeds that depending on the time of year you bought and sold your house, you could end up um, in a delinquency situation before the appraisal district had the chance to switch over the new ownership information. And this happened two or three years in a row. And when I discovered what the cause of the problem was, because I thought these people were being treated very badly, um, but there was nothing you could do about it. They had to pay the penalty. They had, I mean, there's state law was very clear. So I started checking around with some other people and found that there were a whole bunch of folks who were angry at the county clerk for backlogs in every single area. Well, when I started asking around, one thing led to another, and I ended up being recruited by the title companies and real estate people to run for the job so that I could fix the problem. So I, did, I took on the incumbent, and, and I ran a campaign based on modern management and automation, and I won the office, and it wasn't until after I won that I realized elections were also included uh, in the office. And I realized, okay, well, I'm going to be conducting elections too. Okay, we can do that too. And early voting had uh, just been voted in in Texas. I started out in 1987. The first election I ran was November 1987. uh, And I embraced early voting. In fact, we took a retail approach to it. And I just, I fell in love with it. But I didn't, I didn't go into the county clerk's office seeking to conduct elections. That was just something else uh, that some other, an extra job that the county clerk did. So I fell into it like a lot of people. You're coming up on 36 years of doing this. Is elections part of the reason why you've enjoyed being in that position? Or have you, have you liked the other parts better? Or has elections just become something that you do? Elections does suck up all the oxygen in the room. <laughs> Whenever an election is happening, very little else can get your attention. Uh, so it, it is like that. I, I did fall in love with it. Um, and especially international elections, I was able to go and do a few assignments there too. hope to pursue that in the future. Um, I, I very much loved fixing all the problems in the office and curing the backlogs and figuring out all the automation. And that took several years to get that all done. So I enjoyed all the other parts. 
but I fell in love with elections. <laughs> Earlier this year, Dana, I was at the IGO conference and um, heard you talking a little bit, and I thought it was really interesting. You were talking about the county clerk versus election administrator structure in Texas. And from my understanding, some counties in Texas have a county clerk. Some of the larger counties have kind of this option to go to a appointed election administrator that is not elected. And I'm wondering if you're willing to talk a little bit, a bit about your, your opinion of that and maybe the strengths or weaknesses of that structure. Yeah, I'm happy to discuss it because I, it, it turned out something that we had to consider carefully uh, when we were uh, working through the legislature this last time. Here is the problem with it. And, and in Texas, the idea of an elections administrator has really taken off. It's gotten to be quite popular. Of the 254 counties in, in Texas, almost 200 of them now have an elections administrator. And one of the chief reasons that's given for doing that is a very common sense uh, conclusion that you really should have voter registration and election administration together in the same office. That makes a lot of sense. And in counties where you have an elected official in Texas who is doing the, uh, the conduct of elections, typically another elected official will be uh, serving as the voter registrar. So the, the voter registration operation and the, and the function of, of conducting elections are in two separate offices, and that has some dysfunction. Um, associated to it. it I, I think it would all work better if the two offices were together. But here's the problem. If you put it together under and, and require that we get rid of an independently elected official conducting this, then you've taken away the strong independent uh, voice for voters. And the idea that an elections administrator can't be as as outspoken and, and as tough in their fight to defend voters as an independently elected official is very obvious because these elections administrators are having to answer to uh, basically a five-person board. And that board can intimidate them. They can require that the person sit down and shut up and not talk anymore. They can require them to not offer their opinions, um, certainly not speak to the legislature. All of that can be all of that censorship happens every day to elections administrators. But with an elected official, the voters have the chance once every four years to come back and say, OK, well, we want we want a different voice defending us or or, hey, we like that fact that she's got some spine. She can stand up there and say what's best for us um, and be competent uh, about doing it. So the, the idea that we would put more and more emphasis on an appointed official to defend voters in what's rapidly becoming an arena that is more and more of a battle every day greatly concerns me because we need the best armed people up there, um, you know, doing battle on behalf of voters. Uh, and I fear it's not an appointed official who can be threatened or kicked out of their job at the drop of a hat. We, we need to have somebody with a, a little more staying power, a little more, um, penetration into the community where they've got, you know, support uh, and it's, and, and they're not going to be so easily manipulated or censored. You know, we, we, Brianna and I have the same uh, division for lack of a better term here. I'm appointed, she's elected. And so I, I certainly understand where you're coming from. I, I never want to be elected. I wouldn't have this job if I had to be elected, but I, uh, 
I also agree with you that, you know, I, I do lack the same independence that somebody like Brianna has. And maybe there's a way we could build more autonomy into appointed administrators, but I don't know. That's probably for another podcast. So <laughs> we'll do another podcast on that because I, I think with the idea that a lot of citizens think, oh, sure, putting the two together is great. And the only model that they've ever been shown is an appointed model makes them think that that's the best idea. And it may not be. And if we could improve the appointed model, maybe that's an easier way to correct the problem. I, I think your story, Dana, of when you were first elected, you didn't even realize elections were part of the, the county <laughs> clerk's duties. And I think that speaks mostly to how much the profile of election administration has changed. I mean, when you when you started, it was kind of an afterthought for, I think, most people. And now it is such at the forefront of public discussion and public debate, especially in the state of Texas. And so I, I wonder with that in mind, in your well, opinion, that- what what have been the biggest, uh, you know, changes um, in, in election administration in your tenure. You're right. When I very first became county clerk and started conducting elections, um, I think most people didn't even give a second thought. They just thought that ballots magically showed up in the polling places on election day and they magically got counted that night and, you know, and, and everybody went about their business. And it wasn't until Bush v. Gore, uh, until that election that was at 2000, um, that suddenly the, you know, the all, everybody in the United States woke up and realized, oh, there's a whole lot more to elections than just this presumption on our parts about, you know, we're going to get election, we're going to get results at the 10 o'clock news. Um, so I, I did, um, watch along with everybody else while suddenly the, you know, sort of the whole United States woke up. Um, it was at that point, the Bush v. Gore, uh, election and and it's 36 days that it took to confirm the winner of that election that um, elections was changed forever and from that moment on um, the the obscurity of it and the the only there are only a few people who really understand what's going on behind the scenes that world completely changed and it set us on the path of where we are today. Um, the big difference between 2000 and today, though, is social media. We did not have the social media in 2000 that we have today. And I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful because I think all in all, social media has been a terrible influence on elections. Um, and I wish that wasn't the case because it, it had the capability. It had the promise to offer so much potential for education. And it has not offered voters that. It has not come through, I don't think. In fixing some of the automation and things like that, I assume, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, that maybe one of the reasons why you didn't hear about elections as much were because before you ran for office, like it wasn't really something that um, people were complaining about, like there weren't necessarily public issues about it or, you know, people being affected by things in the same way that having to pay delinquent notices on taxes impacts people and makes them very angry. Did you find over time places where the elections process also needed to be improved and made more efficient in the office? Yes. Um, when I when I took over the county clerk's office, including elections, the um, the system that was in place when I arrived was a punch card system. 
and it was old and it was just awful. So one of the things that I when I when I saw it, I, I couldn't believe that this is how we were actually you know, electing people to office. So I immediately set about educating the commissioner's court and other people about, you know, that this wasn't that great a system and that we needed something better. Um, and so in within about three years, within my first term, I convinced commissioner's court to go to a hand-marked optical scan uh, voting system with a central count. And I, I went that direction, not because I knew all that much about what was best for a county our size, but because the price was right. Um, and so, uh, so I ran optical scan elections for 12 years afterwards. And during that time, it was very difficult in a county our size with a central count for us to turn out election results by the 10 p.m. news broadcast. And that's what my community wanted. That's what I wanted to provide. And it just simply wasn't possible. So when 2000 hit and, and we were able to, um, you know, find funding for new equipment, I was one of those, you know, very first counties to get uh, DREs, uh, electronic voting. So I went from punch card to optical scan, hand marked optical scan to then electronic voting. And electronic voting, voters loved. And we were able to provide election results pretty much substantially completed for the 10 p.m. news broadcast. And it wasn't until social media had been pounding on these poor voters for years and years, telling them how horrible direct recording electronic was, that it occurred to them that, oh, you know, there might be something wrong with this. They actually loved it uh, until the, the, the media information, the social media information got to be so negative. Um, we did um, uh, uh, DRE voting for about, I think it was 11 or 12 years uh, before we switched to a paper trail. A county our size, any, any county, with we have more than a million people, um, well more than a million people and almost a million registered voters. So with that size, we have to have electronic uh, support. And, there, and, and since we also offer a very extensive early voting program, um, I need to be able to offer vote and, and countywide voting on election day, I need to be able to offer voters their, their home ballot, their neighborhood ballot, wherever they decide to show up in Travis County. Well, that's an electronic inventory. That's not a paper inventory. And um, in a lot of places uh, around the state, when you, when you start looking at you know, what kinds of systems best fit um, a jurisdiction, one of the things that gets talked about is ballot on demand. There are problems with ballot on demand, too. Um, and so I, I really think that what I would say to people is, you, you know, you don't you don't have to go to such extremes um, in order to find a voting system that will work for voters. Keep it as simple as possible. Um, and an electronic inventory is about as simple as you can get it. I also have some um, worries and concerns about people who are now against uh, unambiguous marks. Um, for years, when we ran optical scan, it was um, very difficult and very time consuming and, and quite the obstacle to timely results to be able to comply with the law that says that you have to look at every single ballot, at least in Texas and in many other states, look at the ballot first to make sure that the machines will read the ballot accurately. Well, if you go through a review process, like a triage for every single ballot before you run it through, that completely slows down the, the, um, um, you know, the throughput of ballots. 
So, you know, having unambiguous marks is most definitely a benefit to voters. And I'm 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 disturbed and, con- and concerned that there are a group of people out there who are telling people that, you know, hand scribbled is by far the most accurate when even on its face. We all know that not to be true. I think that's a great segue into asking you about uh, star vote if you don't mind talking about it, because the first time I had ever heard of you was a presentation you were doing about star vote at a conference. And to me, as a new election administrator, I thought that was awesome. Just the concept that an election administrator was trying to develop the best system for their voters, independent, somewhat independent, at least of, of kind of this, you know, very small restricted market on voting equipment. So I'm hopeful that you might talk to us about StarVote, what it was, why you went through that process and, you know, what what you learned from it. Right. Well, I love talking about StarVote because it, it took up many years of my life, but it ultimately was such a success story. It... <laughs> It offended me and a bunch of other people uh, that um, that when it came time to to try to uh, develop a voting system that actually answered some of the questions and the problems that administrators have and tried to satisfy um, some of the concerns about security and safety, that nobody had come up with any ideas. There was just all a bunch of rock throwing. And uh, lots of people were willing to criticize and certainly personally criticize some of us who are elections administrators trying to do the job. Um, and they had absolutely nothing to offer, uh, you know, in terms of any kind of a solution. So, I, I, you know, it's hard to have respect for somebody who's just, you know, tearing down and they have nothing to, you know, in, in terms of a way to build back up or to offer something for voters. So I challenged them. I called them out on it. And I said, look, I'm, you know, I'm tired of you beating up on everybody when you have nothing to offer yourself. Uh, and so I pulled together a group of some, some computer security people, some, um, you know, uh, computer scientists, uh, who who thought like me that, you know, if, if we have all these problems with electronic voting, then let's fix the problem. Let's just don't pound on voters and tell them that what they have is no good. Um, so that's what got us together. And we worked for years to come up with a, a system that was um, basically good for voters, but that could be um, easily checked and audited. And that that's probably the, the the best strength, the most important point about StarVote is that it was it was uh, designed to be written um, in um, open source language, and it was designed to be audited by outside third parties. So it had end-to-end verification built into it. And that really is what I hope the gold standard will be for the future, because if there's one thing and think we've made, it's maybe occurred to us about these audits is that, um, you know, anybody can make up their own audit and then claim that it, you know, did what they say it did. Um, And that's not helpful to our environment. Um, I I give you the Arizona example. Um, But if we had, you know, a standard audit, 
that looked at the comparison of the paper record to the electronic record so that the that you were comparing what the voter looked at last before it was counted. And then after it was counted, you went back and compared it again. And your favorite third party, the League of Women Voters or the NRA or who you whoever you wanted to pick um, conducted the audit for you, you are going to be more likely to believe who conducts the audit in a standard format, then you are likely to believe what the audit is. So I think the in, I think the impetus for audits for the future is going to be on anybody being able to walk in and conduct the audit independently. I, I really think that's where we're headed for the future. Voters are, uh, you know, a little too savvy now to, oh, well, you know, anybody can, can concoct their own audit. And we're going to have to be very mindful uh, in the future that we need to have audits with clear standards and clear goals that we're trying to achieve so that it becomes exercise in testing the actual uh, counting of the ballots and the actual, you know, tallying of the figures and not an exercise in scaring voters or in trying to sell some political platform. And I'm I'm really hoping for the future that that will happen. Now, what's happened with Starvote is once we got the uh, design out and and you know you know designed and 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 you know completed, uh, then um, through some some wonderful happenstance and some very smart people. Uh, Joe Kinery and some other folks at Free and Fair Elections uh, had the opportunity to show a star vote to some people at DARPA, the Department of Defense. And they really liked the idea that we could have a voting system that was, you know, designed to be uh, built and, and generally produced at a much lower price and that it had a way of being independently audited. They loved that. So they picked it up and Starvote is now being built um, so that it can be um, uh, returned to the public arena. It will be given to all of the vendors for them to turn into their own products for them to, to, to purchase, for people to purchase from them. So it'll have to go through the certification process. It now has a new name. It's called Election Guard. So at some point in the future, we're all going to have the opportunity to take, at a, take a look at a new product that is an electronic voting system with a paper trail that is independently audited um, with open source software. And I, I don't know what each company is going to name their particular product, but it's all going to look a lot like um, the two paper trail systems that have quickly come onto the marketplace in the last couple of years. Uh, and I think we'll see the price start to come down too. So watch for election guard for the future. That's what Starvote has turned into. Do you feel like anything, and I know before we started, you said you, you know, have your second thoughts and stuff like that about retiring, but do you feel like there's anything left undone that, you know, now that Starvote is coming to fruition in a form, um, is there anything that you wish that you could have gotten in? before you decided to retire? Elections is in, in, in my particular county, elections is in really good shape. So I, I feel very good about that. What I do feel concerned about is I, I do feel a little bit like the general leaving the battlefield 
you know, we are having to defend voters against a whole series of unfortunate attacks against them. Um, certainly, the Texas legislature has done a number on Texas voters uh, with its um, recent set of restrictive laws. And I, I feel badly that, you know, perhaps I should have stuck around the fight for voters. But that said, you know, the fight to protect voters and to bring more voters into the process has been happening you know, since we started having elections, the whole civil rights process, um, you know, everything from women's suffrage has been about expanding the the franchise. So I, I think the idea of fighting over elections and fighting to defend voters and give them um, free and fair elections is something that's never going to end. It's something we're always going to be pushing and pushing to try to get the very best we can for voters. Um, so in that sense, I don't feel like I've I finished um, because I'm always going to be thinking that voters need to be defended. But on the other hand, I'm leaving now with a, a very stable staff that's very well trained. And I've put in um, my, my, my voting community is now very well trained on the new voting system we put in. That is an electronically supported voting system with a paper trail. That feels really good. The rest of the office is in a similar situation. Um, I just finished it, the, these past couple of years. It seems like I did uh, new automated systems in virtually every area of the office. And so I'm glad to say it's all been sort of shored up. And when I hand it over to the next county clerk, it will it will include virtually all new systems, including the most recent one that we just that I just put up on October the 4th. We did a go live with a new civil and criminal case management system that tied all the way through to the courts and the sheriff and the prosecutors and everything, a very complex system. Uh, and it's now up and running and we're working out the last few bugs in it. So I really feel like this is actually a good time for me to leave if there ever is any. Um, I've, I have loved this job very much. And it's been, um, it's been one of those things where I, I try to tell people when, well, I, that that I, I feel grateful for this opportunity because I was very young when I ran for the office and I and I ran because I thought people were being mistreated and that I could do a better job. And so it was really um, applying through the, for the job through the ballot box. That was the only way to get the job was to run for office. I never had intended to be an office holder ever in my life, but it was the only way to try to fix this. So um, I risked everything. I mean, rolled the dice and took a big, big risk. I had a mortgage. I was alone. <laughs> and, and I think, I think at times like that in life, when you, you know, when you risk everything and then what you win turns out to be something so much better than you thought it was going to be in the beginning. You know, I just wonder how often that happens to us in life, that what you get ends up being so much more than you thought you were going to get. And I, I'm just entirely grateful for that. I will say, though, that I didn't get scared or run out of town or anything. Um, I want to stay in elections. And one of the things I hope to do, as I mentioned before, is I would like to be able to return to doing international elections. I was able to do four or five assignments uh, before the Help America Vote Act came out. And when the Help America Vote Act came out, I ended up with now 144 clients who rely on me to conduct their elections, uh, the, you know, all kinds of jurisdictions in Travis County. That's that was too much work for me to be able to take off and go do an international election assignment. All right, everyone, that was another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins. Big thanks to 
Dana De Beauvoir from Travis County, Texas, for being our guest. We hope you enjoyed it. Hope you listen next time to High Turnout Wide Markets.